Let's now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 22. Lord's Day 22, starting at question and answer 57. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved in the Lord, when we speak about the life that Christ gives to us, our minds go back to Adam and Eve, where they lived before God, where they lived in life, under life, you might say. That brings us to the question, why would God keep Adam and Eve from the tree of life after the fall? Through the tree of life, Adam and Eve would have had the sign of life. But this life would have been a life under death. The tree stood in the sanctuary of God, the garden, and there in the garden was life. But Adam and Eve were under death. God saw that it was necessary to block off that sanctuary through the sword of the cherubim. What was necessary for life now, true life, that is, life that's truly worth living, was to provide a new way to the tree of life, a new tree of life. And this could only happen through death and resurrection. The old body of Adam had to die and the Lord had to provide him with a new body. This cutting off from God, that's the reason for the grief and the heartache that we see in the world today. We don't all consciously know it, but we, as a fallen people, have been cut off from God, cut off from life. But, as we saw in our reading today, God offers a new way to life and fellowship with Him. The offer of Christ is clear. Come to me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Is Christ your confession? There is no other way back to life other than Christ. He alone is the resurrection and the life. 
I bring you the word of the Lord as summarized in the Catechism under the theme, Jesus gives himself to his own. We shall see, number one, the gift of resurrection. Number two, the gift of life. When we speak of the gift of resurrection, it's really the gift summarized in the gift of Christ himself, the gift of his death and resurrection. Paul speaks of Christ as the free gift. He's the free gift that's given for the sake of all men. Already back in Lord's Day 17, the resurrection, we saw that the resurrection of Christ is a guarantee that you too will be raised. And the resurrection in, in John 11 is another guarantee. We see in John 11 that God not only intends to raise Christ, but all those who believe in him. The resurrection of Lazarus is a sign. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they all believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has come to be the anointed one of God. But he's so much more than that. Jesus comes and he tells them that he himself is the resurrection. Resurrection is through belief in Christ. That certain promise here is echoed in the very first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What's your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because I belong, he belongs to me. By baptism, our incorporation or our union into him is sealed. By believing him, you claim him as your Lord and Savior. Ultimately, you give yourself to him. And this is because he has given himself to you in the first place. He loved first. In order to accept that, you need to realize that you need him. You need him for life and resurrection. You need Christ if you're going to live. Ultimately, we all face the reality of death. That's the end for man who is under death. If you desire life, if you desire a new body, Christ is the only way. He rose so that you can follow him through that death and resurrection. The catechism asks, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Comfort you? It comforts you because you are in Christ, because both your body and soul belong to him. Your flesh is in heaven. He will ensure that your body and soul will be taken to himself. You see, even as Christ died, rose, and ascended, so we die, we will die, rise, and ascend. Even as Christ raised Lazarus, so Christ will bring you up as well. Now, of course, this resurrection is not immediate. We must wait until the final coming of Christ for that purpose. We know all flesh will be raised on that final day. Christ's resurrection has ensured that end for mankind. 
And this includes both those who are righteous in Christ and those who have rejected the truth of the gospel. The resurrection of the righteous will be for comfort and joy. This is the resurrection of those who are in Christ. The resurrection of those who are not in Christ will be a resurrection to damnation, a resurrection that will lead to what Revelation 20 calls the second death. We who are in Christ have true hope for this final resurrection. Our resurrection is a comfort, a certainty of a future. For those who are not in Christ, they only hope for the dissolving of the consciousness. They're going to disappear. That's what they tell each other in their science textbooks. Even their best hope is no comfort, but really just death. But ultimately, they're lying to themselves. They will receive that second death. But meanwhile, we who are in Christ, we who have believed on Christ, we need not worry. Even as Christ's resurrection ensures the final resurrection, it ensures great joy and glory in the middle period, the time between his death and the second coming. The period in which Christ our Lord continues to expand his church and bring in his kingdom. In that time in between times, our soul will be taken to dwell in joy with Christ our Savior. So even now, we're, we're not going to be sleeping literally after we die, but we go straight up to be with our Lord and Savior. There's no time of sleep. There's, there's no holding place. There's no purgatory. We die and we immediately go with Christ himself and enjoying his communion. Enjoying fellowship with our Lord. How else can we explain Paul's joy at the thought of dying in Philippians 1? Paul is excited to leave this earthly tent and join Christ. It's an attitude that's not necessarily easy to understand until we have gone through the laborious and suffering-filled life that Paul had. In that passage, Paul is ready to go home though he knows that God desires he stay on earth a little longer. His testimony is a witness to us that we can experience that same hope of life with Christ. The joy which we experience there will not compare to which we enjoy now. We have joy now. We're in Christ. We enjoy his fellowship. When our spirits go up to be with Christ, that will be even greater. And then, when the final resurrection comes, when we receive our bodies again, that will be even better than what we have in heaven with Christ. Even greater will be the joy which we will experience when we are able to commune with Christ in our new spiritual bodies which we will receive at the resurrection. We move from glory to glory. 
people of God, this is the joy we look forward to as Christians. You will be with Christ. You will be without pain. You will be without sin. All those who believe in Christ, yes, they will die, but death is now not the end. Death is a door to life with Christ. In a moment, you will be with your God. At the same time, God keeps our bodies in his care. As Jesus says so often in the gospel, your body is sleeping, it's resting, it's resting. Even your body is resting in him, that is, in Jesus. And that body will be raised by the power of Christ and will be united with your soul on the final day. The story we read concerning Lazarus is a sign that Jesus has the power to do that and he will do so again. The story of Lazarus also shows Jesus' compassion for those who experience the grief of death Even though we face great joy, yes, there is at the same time a sorrow about walking through this valley, in walking through this valley of death. It's in this story where we have that verse, Jesus wept. Jesus is weeping because of the death of Lazarus. He's weeping because of the suffering his own have to go through. And this is a testament to Jesus care for us even now, even as we face those fears about death. He's with us. And he cares about every fear that we have. He prays for us. He offers supplications for those who are his own. He desires to bring his own into communion with him just as he brought Lazarus up from the dead. What a hope we have, congregation of the Lord. Our Lord is leading us even now, preparing us for life with him. Our natural curiosity makes us wonder what that final resurrection will be like. What will our new bodies be like? The most honest answer we can give is that the Bible doesn't tell us a lot. But we do know something. The catechism makes it clear that it's my very flesh. Remember, we've just said Jesus is watching over our bodies that remain on earth. It's my very flesh that will be resurrected at the end of time. You will be able to recognize the body with which your soul is united to as your very own. It will have continuity with your earthly body. When we read 1 Corinthians 15 verse 44, we seem to have a contradiction though. There Paul says, our bodies are sown natural bodies, raised a spiritual body. What does it mean to have a spiritual body? We need to understand how Paul is using spiritual and natural. 
Spiritual here does not mean unnatural. It means something like incorruptible, a body raised in power, images that Paul has already used. Paul is pointing to the fact that we have a fully new nature. In Adam, our our bodies are bound to the earth and corruptibility. They waste. We know this because of the sicknesses we get, the aches and pains. We feel ourselves getting old. Our bodies, that's what it means that our bodies are corruptible. We're also bound by sin, bound by death. Even though we're freed from these principalities, our bodies, our our flesh are still subject to them. In the new heavens and the new earth, our bodies will no longer be a body under death. They'll no longer be corruptible. The Spirit who has already been working in us will have completed His work. As Paul tells us, He will have transformed us from Adam, the earthly man, the man of dust, to the image of Jesus, the heavenly man. The church then has understood that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. The Catechism says, we will be made like Christ's glorious body. Whatever we, what, however exactly we look like, whatever differences there are, they are similar to what was in Jesus after he had been resurrected. Clearly, there were similarities between his body before he was raised and after. The disciples are able to recognize him. Clearly, he was solid. He could be touched and he could eat. He was no ghost. We can be certain that Jesus clearly remained a man, and we can be certain that we will continue to be men as well, but glorified and enjoying the communion of our God and Father. Beyond what has been said, we can't know exactly how we, have been, how we will be changed, and I am certain there will be surprises. But in trying to understand the nature of the final resurrection, we shouldn't miss the glory of what is happening here. The gift that this is to those who believe in Christ. By becoming man, by the Son of God taking on flesh, Jesus has made man glorious. He has exalted human flesh in a way that we can't comprehend. Man grasped at becoming like God by eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Despite that pride, God became man so that man could become a heavenly being. See the reversal there? Man wanted to become like God. And now God gives man the opportunity to become like God. Not to become God, but to dwell in the righteousness and holiness of who God is. To rule with Christ in heaven at the end of time. As we know from Hebrews, God brings many sons to glory through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose here brings us to our second point, the gift of life. That life 
That life which we'll experience at the resurrection, that life which we will experience when we live with Christ after we die, it already begins now. Our catechism says, I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. John 11, verse 26, could be translated, Whoever lives by believing in me shall never die. Notice the present there. That life begins now. This is also the suggestion of Romans 6. Christ baptizes us into his death, and we receive life through faith, through our trust in Christ as our Lord. One of the scripture references in the, in the catechism for this section is Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is now, and we're members of that kingdom. In the context of Romans 14, that kingdom, it isn't about rules of eating and drinking, but it's about enjoying the presence of God in the Spirit. That's what we enjoy on Sunday and throughout our week as well. We see that peace and righteousness and joy. It's imperfect, but there's a beginning. We only need to look at the way those outside the church relate to one another, to know that what we have is an improvement. Of course, that's not always true of the church. There are always those churches who seem to have lost that community and that blessedness which Christians may enjoy in Christ. Whatever is happening in these churches, and we can't claim to know we do know that we have a promise from Jesus. Jesus assures us that through faith, that life of blessedness begins now. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's pain. But that life of blessedness begins now. His Spirit is with us now, binding us together, comforting us with the certainty of the promise of eternal life. It's interesting that in his book, the great divorce, C.S. Lewis draws out this truth. In that book, C.S. Lewis travels to heaven and observes the afterlife. Among the ghosts that are walking about, there's a conversation about the relation of earth to heaven. It's noted there that for the wicked, hell begins on earth. They're already Already the hatred that comes out, the hatred and the anger at God that comes out in hell is already beginning on earth. And for the righteous in Christ, heaven begins on earth. We can't take this too far, but at the same time, there's a lot of truth to it. Particularly in the hearts of those who believe in God, we have that beginning of joy. We have that beginning of heaven. And that life, that life that we experience, and the greater glory we're looking forward to in the future, that life is the reason Christians are not afraid to offer up their bodies to the flames. We don't need to be afraid of the swords of tyrants. We're freed from the fear of death because of that life that's working in us. We're no longer citizens of earth 
but we belong to heaven where our Lord is seated at the right hand of God. You see, we have a place to stand. Christ, who saves us from death. Money won't save you from death. Medicine won't save you to death. from death. Only Christ. The truth is, let's say some scientist found a way to put off death. It wouldn't be worth it. It would not be true life. It would be a life that is still under death and still under sin. A life without Jesus is not worth living. It's not real life. That's why the fate of the wicked in Revelation 20 is called the second death. It can only be called life in the sense that these men and women, they're still aware that they exist. But that's not life. Pursuing this joy in the Lord is our single-minded focus. We can be reminded of a scene in Pilgrim's Progress. There, Christian, the main character, faced by the temptations of Vanity Fair, he puts his fingers in his ears and cries out, Eternal life! Eternal life! He knows he needs to keep that focus on God and His gifts. This should be our focus when faced by the temptations that draw us away from eternal life. Pursuit of the treasures of this earth can draw us away from that focus. God calls us to persevere in pursuing that goal. We see that in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with, the endurance, with endurance that race that is set before us. The ultimate goal is in our, desire, in our desire to run in this race is the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We run looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Yes, we don't physically see anything of this yet. We see it by faith. It's true that we enjoy something of the new life now, but primarily we live by faith and not by sight. We have the certainty of that promise through Jesus. We have the testimony of the apostles and prophets found in the word of God. Jesus is our down payment for the future. Look to him. He's the resurrection of life. When you believe in him, that life is yours You have eternal life now. That certainty of the future enables us to live through the threats of mockery, mockery, the threats of death. In Christ, we have a new way to life. The way to the tree of life was blocked. Now we have a new tree of life, the cross. We eat of our tree of life by faith, through word and sacrament, The Spirit feeds us through these means. 
We have life through both the author, the one who works in us a new creation, and the finisher, the one who guides us to the end, to such perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no man has ever imagined a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Amen. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.